I know we're, uh, we're live now. We welcome all you that are watching us wherever you're at tonight. And those of you that get this podcast, we welcome you with us in our study of the book of Revelation. We're doing a lot of groundwork, so <clears throat> I, I'm not lying to you. We are going to study the book of Revelation. But uh, we're doing a lot of groundwork. So this will be the third week. I'm going to do a little more groundwork tonight. <clears throat> what I, there is so much um, bad teaching out there about eschatology. Eschatology is just a big word. means the end of time. Study on the end of time. So there's, and it's been revived. Now, who do you think uh, would love for, God, for everybody to be confused and to misrepresent Scripture? Uh, so the devil is behind all that. So it saddens me to tell you that I've had some close friends get caught up in some bad doctrine in the last three or four years. And um, so... The reason I've spent so much time in the book of Daniel is just to lay that groundwork. And I'm going to take you into the New Testament uh, as well. I'll take you somewhere else in Daniel. But let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll go back and uh, re-look at a few things. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for your word. You've magnified your word above your name. And uh, we esteem your word, Lord. We know that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will stand forever. We love it here, God. We, we strive to build our lives on it. Certainly the ministries that uh, you've ordained for us to do, we strive to build those on your word. Uh, we know that that's the only sure thing. We know that the word was made flesh and came down and dwelt among us, who is your son, Jesus the Christ. He is one and the same with the word. There are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Spirit, and the Word. And we know that Jesus will come back with that written on Him, the Word. And so we just pray, Lord, as we study tonight, that You'll give us the strength to hear and understand so that we can be effective witnesses in these last days. That we will be able to give people an answer for the hope that's in us. In Jesus' name, Amen. So I was... Uh, I want to take you one place in Revelation in just a moment, and then we'll go back to Daniel. Uh, I was thinking about this <clears throat> this week when I was studying some. Uh, the God who has the ability to control the history of the world to bring it to an expected end, He's in charge. Whoever controls the whole history of the world, <laughs> that's who you and I better be serving. He's in charge. And, and one of the things I want to point out to you so you can really understand the day we're living in, if you would run with me over to uh, Revelation chapter 16. And uh, so see, we did get into Revelation. <laughs> uh, in Revelation 16, look at verse 12 with me. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl... On the great river Euphrates. And that river, you know, is still very prominent today. And its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Until the last 40 years, this didn't mean anything to anybody. This scripture. I mean, China was laid down over there and... Uh, 
we won't bring Russia into that so much because they'll be coming out of the north, and we'll talk about that. Russia was another one, though, that most people, you know, if, we'll, if we could flip back time for two or three presidential elections, one of the candidates, I think three election cycles ago, made fun of people who thought Russia was back and strong. Well, the joke's on them. Because guess who's back and strong? Russia. Now, Russia's an end-time player. So don't let that stuff freak you out. What it does for me, it makes me smile. Because it just reaffirms to me who's really in charge. God prophesied in Ezekiel that Russia would come down out of the north along with a couple other countries and try to take a spoil out of Israel. So the stage is getting set for all that. All the chaos... All the food shortages, they say that Ukraine's the breadbasket of the world. The longer that goes on over there, the more trouble we're going to have with food supply and change. So there's going to be reasons for these nations to start flexing their muscles and doing things that they shouldn't be doing the way we think. But the other one is the kings of the east. When you look at China and what's coming out of there, they, they, they are the only nation in the world that can fit that army that the Bible talks about that hundred million man army. They're the only nation large enough to put a hundred million foot soldiers in the, in the field. And so, but that didn't mean anything. China was kind of obscure, kind of um, not up to par. Now they're the second largest economy in the world, or maybe first now, who knows. They're, they're alive. Their leader really doesn't get pushed around by anybody. Basically, you all remember this last year, they told us Americans at one of those conferences basically to sit down and shut up. And was it Alaska, wherever the conference was at? And so that, the kings of the east are now up and running. And this river Euphrates, they have built a dam upstream river, on this river of Euphrates, and they can control the water flow of the river Euphrates. And so everything's getting set for the kings of the east, for Meshach, Tubal, which is Gomer and Russia and all that region up there, Germany, all that, for them to start getting together. There's been a loose configuration, which that's how it's going to stay, and that's why this image is so important. There's been a loose configuration of the old Roman Empire getting back together. So everything's in place. And the reason everything's in place is what we use this hourglass to represent every service. That when Jerusalem left control of Gentile people, went back under the control of the Jewish people, that's when the countdown started. And all these things that are relevant now that weren't relevant before then, it's amazing. Your God, the one that sent His Son to die in our place on the cross, controls everything. Now, He's long-suffering. Now, listen to what Peter said. Uh, God is not slack concerning His promises. Now, that's how the, a lot of people, and a lot of people get disappointed on God because they want Him to show up. They wish He would wear a watch. You know, you got the whole deal. God, you should have showed up sooner, whatever. Whatever people's mindset is. But Peter said, God is not slack concerning His promises as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come under repentance. So if you feel like God's 
being slack, that's not what's happening at all. What's happening is that God's being merciful. He's being long-suffering. And He's giving people opportunities to turn and repent and, and come to Him. But that's, this is the day we're living in. So when you read chapter 16, and this, this was it the sixth, uh, the sixth angel poured out his bowl. When you read this, you know, prior to 1967 and even later than that in this case, that probably didn't mean nothing to anybody. Well, what in the world is that talking about? Nobody in the East is capable of being a world power. And bam! I remember watching one of, the, one of the news broadcasts, it's probably been five years ago now, and they were so troubled about China building all these uh, submarine bases and stuff off the coast under all this stuff they're building under the ocean. And then they were concerned about a highway that they've started that's coming out in the middle of nowhere, but it's headed straight to the Middle East. They may not even know why they're building it. But the, the, the Bible says God, like for Russia's sake, said God's going to put a hook in His jaw and bring Him down. God's will's going to be done. The plans of men are many, but it's the plan of God that will prevail. That should give us great confidence. So when we see things being coming into play, and why do we know it's different now? We know it's different now because of 1967. That's what Jesus said in Luke 21. He said, when this happens, these signs are going to start happening. And then He finished by saying, know that this generation will not pass until everything is fulfilled. So here we stand, see it, whatever, waiting for God's plan to continue to unfold. This is an exciting time to live because we know God's going to take care of us. <clears throat> he all, he, he's always taking care of His own. He, he took care of His people in Egypt. He got Rahab and her family out before he destroyed Jericho. He got Noah and his family out. God's always up. The Bible says in Thessalonians, God has not appointed us to wrath. All right? So God's going to take care of His own. So we are sitting on an exciting time to live. Now, here's what you're going to run into. Let's go back to Daniel 9. I've spent a lot of time over there. But I want to drill this into you so that you can be firm when you get challenged. <clears throat> And when somebody may try to throw you, throw you a curveball about the end of time. And don't be sitting around having debates with people that only read Matthew chapter 24. You know, I won't even talk to somebody. If they want to debate me about the end of time and all they can do is quote Matthew 24, then I ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Was that old saying a few years ago? Ain't nobody got time for that. Look at chapter 9 again. And so this is, uh, I want you to get this burned in you because this really refutes all this new doctrine that says everything about Matthew 24 and Luke 21, Mark 13, the book of Revelations has already happened. There's a big move. Now, we always had a fringe, fringe movement out, uh, out there. And remember that old, is, is a secular song, and the song started off by the lunatic fringe. He said, lunatic fringe, I know you're out there. He was right. We see them now, don't we? The lunatic fringe has been out there, and now they're manifested. But there have always been people who uh, have had weird doctrine with the book of Revelation. But it's, it's really taken off now, and it's sweeping a lot of modern churches. And, and so what they're saying is things like, 
All that stuff was about the Jews. The Gentiles are totally out of that. And that revelations already happened. And I mean, and it's in mainstream. And I'm not talking about denominations that have lost their way a long time ago. And we have some of those. We have some denominations that have got so much like the world, you can't really tell them from a country club. That's true. But it's worse than that. It's some of these churches that came out of secularism and the devil has now got them caught up in believing and teaching bad doctrine. I'm telling you, the devil's relentless. And he don't lay down. I don't know if he takes naps or what, but he seems to be have somebody on the job constantly. And they probably work shifts because they're not omnipotent like God. But they, they've got shift work, I'm sure, and somebody's always trying to trip God's people up somewhere along the way. Sometimes he does that individually, and sometimes he does that corporately. If he can get a bad movement started corporately, he can wipe a lot of people out in a hurry. Get them confused, get them discouraged, get them teaching bad doctrine, and next thing you know, they become like Pharisees and Sadducees. So let's go th- I want you to get this in, in your spirit. And this will probably be the last time I do this. Maybe. But let's get it in there. Now, in verse 20 says, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin, this is Daniel talking, and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel... I have uh, now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand this vision. So let me remind you. Daniel, <clears throat> Daniel is a Jew. And if you read the book of Daniel, you'll see language like this. Like, this is a time I'm going to deal with your people, Daniel. It's the time that I'm going to show your people. They're your pe- so he's, the book of Daniel is primarily written for what's going to befall the Jews. Not just in the end of time. A lot of it is about the end of time. But also their plight, how they're going to go through history. And I will show you that here in just a minute. And he says, Seventy Shabuas, right? We went all this. Seventy sevens are determined for your people, the holy city. To finish the transgression. Alright? This prophecy is about Israel's complete history. Now, what the reason there are gaps in Daniel is because, and the Bible shows us this plainly, is because Israel did not exist for a season. Here they had Babylon... They were under Babylon's control. They were under Medes and Persians. They were under Greece. And then they were under Rome. And then Rome split. Then Rome went away, and so did Israel. Israel didn't exist as a nation. So the reason God didn't give any other world empires to Daniel was because all this is about Daniel's people. So Israel did not exist as a nation for almost 2,000 years. Then God brought them home, right? Uh, uh, my argument is very strong and clear about when the countdown started, but the countdown could not have started if 1948 hadn't happened first, right? So 
1948, they went back home and became a nation again. That is very significant to the plan of God. So when that happened, then they're back on the world stage. Now guess who's been coming back to life for the last 30 to 40 years? This old Roman Empire. These feet that have all these toes, right? And I'm just drawing something like Charlie Brown. But anyway, so the, it's, a, it's, it's not just bronze. It's, it's clay mixed with the metal. Because it's a loose conglomeration. It's not going to have the same power and strength that old Rome. Rome basically controlled the whole world back in the day. And so, but they're going to be fierce. The Antichrist is going to come in here and ride this group of nations and start trying to take over the world. Now, the Antichrist don't fully take over the world. Now, I'll show that to you as we go through the study. He starts having trouble in certain sectors. And so, but he's going to be enough control to where he basically controls and manipulates the systems. He'll have the most power, but he's going to start having some skirmishes because some people are going to start rebelling against him. A kingdom that's divided can't stand, right? So all this happens. This old Roman Empire is coming back to life now because the Jews are back up and running. So it's beautiful how God laid all this out. But it's really eye-opening to see how God has put all this together so that we would not be caught off guard. Remember I read to you all out of Thessalonians that He said, you and I are not in darkness like the world is that that day should overtake us. So we're standing on the verge of the end of time, the very end of time. We're not moving into the last days we're in them. We're in the last days. I thought this was interesting. I read an article a few years ago, and one of the, and I don't know if they still have this or what, but one of the symbols that they had in this new, they don't call themselves yet the, old, the new Roman Empire, but in this area that used to be Rome, one of the symbols they have, did have, and may still have somewhere, was a woman riding a beast. You know what I say? Let God be true and everybody else a liar. He's in charge, folks. I mean, that ought to put a smile on our face to know just how much God is in charge. So the reason this image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in chapter 2 was just with those nations, it's because those are the nations that Israel's really going to have to deal with. Right? The Antichrist is going to come in. He said, of the prince of the people that's to come. We read about that in just a moment. Daniel's up here. He's in Babylon. He lived a little bit in the Medes and Persians. He had already passed away by Greece. But there's a people that's coming that Gabriel's talking to him about. And that's that Roman people that are more fierce than anybody's ever been. If you read about how Rome treated its subjects and how it rampaged people, these other nations couldn't hold them a lot. Rome, in Rome, sometimes your death sentence, well, if you'd done something that they wanted to kill you over, whatever, they would tie another dead body to you and you would walk around that way until that diseased body got a hold of your body. They crucified, you know, some of the horrendous things that they've done. So we're, we're looking at a moment. Now, what I want to stress to you 
that I've been stressing to you, when he says these 77s, and I explained all that last week, if you want to go back, and when that started, the first 69, seven-year periods, it's 490 total. 483 of those came to a close when Christ was crucified. Then this last seven-year period is the Great Tribulation that we see described in the book of Revelation and in a few places in the Gospel. And here a little bit, he says, uh, for your people, he said, these 77-year these, these periods are determined for your people, for the holy city, to finish the transgression. Now that's what I want to say to these new, new philosopher, theological dudes that say revelations already happened and everything was already done. It was all. A, <clears throat> I want to say to them, I want to ask them a question. Is transgressions over? No, they're not over. Look at the next one. To make an end of sins. Is sin finished? <laughs> sin's worse than it's ever been. You know, and uh, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Has that happened? No. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Is, is everything good? No. It's, it's unright. Most things are unrighteous right now. To seal up vision and prophecy. To anoint the most holy. Jesus has not been anointed the most holy over the whole world. But that day's coming, coming soon. So these things have not happened. Alright, so the, the, what happens in the New Testament, we get more detail about the end of time and things start unfolding. I'll give you an example of that. In Luke 21, Jesus, and you've heard me quote this a lot, when he, after He talks about the end of time there and the tribulation period, He says, pray that you be counted worthy to escape all these things and stand before the Son of Man. That's the only place in the Bible we hear Jesus alluding to the rapture or the catching away of the church. He doesn't expound on it. He don't get into it with any theological depth. He just kind of throws it out there. And here's why. Jesus came to the lost house of Israel. I'm going to say it. Most of them's going to miss the rapture. They're blinded. Now there's some that are messianic that believe Jesus is the Messiah. Some of them are my friends. I have friends that are orthodox, some that are messianic. But they're blinded, and they're blinded for our sake, so that ought to humble us, right? We should be humbled by that. But what happens in 1 Corinthians 15 and other places? Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery. He, he, he's the one that unfolds it. Why would Paul unfold the rapture? Because he's the apostle to the Gentiles. He was a Jew, but he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And guess who's mostly going to go in the rapture? It's going to be a Gentile thing. Because God gets stuck with Leah first, and then he has to work seven more years to get Rachel, which was his first choice. Don't be offended by that. Just be glad you're going. Right? <laughs> but God had a perfect plan. It's not about God loving somebody more than He loves somebody else. God loves us all. But, but He had a beautiful plan, so God's going to get the tender-eyed one first, which is Leah. Why would we be considered Leah and tender-eyed? Because we weren't adorned with the things like the Jews. They were adorned with all the beautiful things of God. And so <clears throat> it's a beautiful picture to watch this unfold right in front of our eyes. And so he's going he's gonna, to... That's why Paul was given the, the, the call to expound and explain the rapture because he was the one who preached to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were getting ready, uh, were getting brought in to the family of God thanks to the work of Christ, thanks to the Jews being blinded for our sakes. There's a whole lot to that. 
And then we're getting brought in. So we're, we're making up that first segment of the bride, if you want to have it, Leah. We're the ones that were called dogs, Gentile dogs. And you read about what Gentiles did back in the days. They did stuff that we can't even talk about. And, now, and they're still doing it. The Gentiles are still doing things we can't talk about. And so God's setting the stage for all that. So that's why he, Jesus just alluded to it, but Paul was the one that expounded it. And then he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62, which makes 69, right? And we talked about this, and I wrote some on the board there. But let me just say this, that... <clears throat> It is 769s is 173,880 days. The countdown's clear when it starts. It says uh, to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. There'll be 69 of these seven-year periods, which which equals 483. And that started on, uh, you can read an encyclopedia Britannica and find this out, on March the 14th, 445 B.C., because it was 20 years into Artaxerxes' reign, and we know exactly when he started reigning. And so that ends on April the 6th, 32 A.D., which would be right at the time when Jesus would have been crucified. So these days are fulfilled. They use a 360-day calendar. They use a lunar calendar when you're dealing with prophecy. Israel does. And so it comes out to April the 6th, 32 A.D., from the starting point of Nisan or March the 14th, 445 B.C. So there's a lot, a lot that we can learn. But see, everything's not in the dark. And that's why it frustrates me for some of these big-time preachers, whoever they think they are, to get in front of one news reporter and act like they don't know a thing about the end of time. And they all cop out on it, most of them do, when they, start, when they get interviewed by the world. And these news media, like I was saying earlier, was freaking out because all this stuff China's doing, but we know what China's getting ready to do. They're getting ready to be a player. Russia's getting ready to be a player. All these things are getting set up. Now, there's something interesting that Jesus said. I may have brought this out last week. But when they asked Jesus about forgiving people, was it Peter that asked him and he said, how many times? He said, 70 times 7 a day. Now that's 490, right? But Jesus knew what He was saying when He said that. So basically what Jesus was saying there, nobody's going to have to forgive somebody 490 times a day, I don't think. If you do, something's bad wrong with somebody. <laughs> but Jesus is basically saying to Peter and, who, and all of us, you've got to keep forgiving until this thing's done. Till the 490's over. That's what he was saying. You got to get and and you want to you want to stop forgiveness in your life. Jesus made it very plain. I actually we you talked about it some Sunday. If you don't if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive. It's not an option. Unforgiveness is is not an option. It's illegal in the kingdom of God to hold unforgiveness. Now, I know it may take you a little while to get over it, and you may have to pray through something, but you got to get through it, you know? That, because all of us were sinners. None of us deserve to be forgiven based on the merits of the thing. We were forgiven because God had mercy on us. 
and chose to redeem us, or at least offer us redemption. So these things have not happened. There's not been, transgressions have not been finished. Sins are certainly not finished or over. Iniquity is still going on. Jesus has not been crowned. So that's why you can know for a surety that these guys who are teaching that stuff have lost their mind. Because what they've done is what I've been on a crusade for for the last 35 years. To restore the Old Testament back to the New Testament church. And you know, people's eyes fall open if they hear me say this for the first time because the New Testament church is ignorant in a lot of ways. But when I say things like baptism and communion didn't start in the New Testament, some people's eyes about fall out. They think, well, I thought... No, you, wah, 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 wah. you need to study to show yourself approved. A workman needs not be ashamed. And you cannot build end-time theology. Most, most churches and preachers have forgotten about the book of Revelation anyway. They don't want nothing to do with it. But you cannot build end-time theology with one chapter. You've got to take the whole counsel of God. There's some wars in the end of time in the book of Psalms that the Lord tells us about. So there's a whole counsel of God's Word. He don't leave us in the dark. And for those preachers, shame on you, and I'm calling you a coward right now. For those preachers who avoid prophecy, you're leaving a third of your Bible untaught. Now, how are you going to stand before God? In fact, when you read the Bible, preachers are going to be held more responsible than anybody else for how they've taught or not taught things. And that's what Paul's talking about primarily when he says, you take heed how you build on this foundation. He was laying the foundation and he was talking to guys coming behind him that would be laying the Word down and he was cautioning them about how they build on that foundation. And of course, that's an individual responsibility to some degree too. If you get a book and, and, and everybody gets books and it don't line up with God's Word, promptly throw it in the trash. You don't need to be filling your mind with stuff that's contrary to God's Word. Nobody's smarter than God. And so he says, uh, he says, He shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, then the flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. So all that happens, let me back up to verse 26. After this Messiah is cut off, the people of the prince who is to come. So he's kind of foreshadowing Rome here. That prince is the little P, so we know he's talking about the other prince, not Jesus, the Antichrist. And he says in verse 27, Then he, this little prince, this Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant for one Shabuah. There's that last seven-year period. We know that as the tribulation, the great tribulation. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble as well. Because that's when God turns His focus back off the Gentiles and back on to, to winning the Jews. Now, they're not the only ones who get saved, but that's where the focus... The focus is on the Gentiles right now. Jesus made a statement about that. He said, when the time of the Gentiles comes to a close, right? Our time's about up. And then Leah is brought into the honeymoon chamber, right? I love that story because it's better than anything. I'm wanting to go into Genesis... How do you spend the night in the honeymoon chamber and not know who's with you? 
I mean, that's better than any movie, ain't it? You're talking about family dysfunctionality. He wakes up the next morning and it's Leah. He got tricked, but he was a deceiver himself, right? He reaped what he sowed. And then he has to stay, what, seven more years to get Rachel. So that's what happens with God. He gets stuck with the Gentile bride first, and then this covenant comes into place. And so the hoopah is the honeymoon chamber. So Leah gets to go to the honeymoon chamber first, and then seven years later, Rachel will come in. So God's got a beautiful plan. Can you say amen? Now... <clears throat> Let's go over to um, let's go to Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two. Now, this is not new. What I'm telling you about bad doctrine, it's not new. And Second Thessalonians chapter uh, chapter two. Listen to what Paul says to this group of people. We read from First Thessalonians last week in chapters four and five. It talks about the rapture, and we may get back over there uh, in just a, mu- a minute. Actually, let's go to chapter 4 of First Thessalonians, verse 13. Let me show you something there real quickly. He says uh, in First Thessalonians 4 and 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus those who've put their trust in Him. For this we say that by the word of the Lord, and we who, who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So he's talking about the Greek words hapogasometha. We call it the rapture. It's just rapture is a borrowed word uh, from the Latin, which is rapturo, where they translated the catching away or the called up. <laughs> you don't. The world don't. So uh, you, the people argue about, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. And Paul didn't carry a King James either. You know, the same people usually argue that. If it's good enough for Apostle Paul, then it's good. There, there was Greek language. That was all that was written. The Latin Bible was translated before the English Bible. So they took the Greek and found the word in their language, rapturo, and used it. And so we borrow words from each other. And that's a way, way easier way to say it. I could say, are you guys ready for the hapogasometha? In other words, are you guys ready to be called up, raptured out of here? Or I could say, are you guys ready for the rapture? It's a lot easier on me to say it that way. But you see, that's just semantics. People just trying to uh, mess, mess with people's brain. He says, we alive and remain will be caught up together to be with them in the air. Then last week I did talk about chapter 5 where he says, concerning the times and the seasons, you have no need that I should write to you, for yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction. And that's what you've got to be looking for. Our world is in enough chaos all around the world that 
they're going to be looking for somebody to bring some stability to that. And that's what you need to keep your eyes open for. When there's somebody starts rising to the top and has all the answers, quote unquote, well, the world will start looking to him. And, and then he says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes in. The labor pains on a pregnant woman. They shall not escape. But you, now this is us, weans, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. See what he says to us? The world's going to be caught off guard. But he says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light, sons of the day. We are not in night nor darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as, do other, as others do, but let us watch and be sober. All right, so that's our call. For those who sleep, sleep at night, he says. Uh, and those who get drunk are drunk at night, but let those who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, the helmet of hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, whether we wake or sleep, we should live. So if, if somebody dies, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but they're going to get a new body, so they're... they're coherent they they're aware that they're with the lord but they're going to get a new body and then we're going to be changed if we're alive in the moment in twinkling of an eye and then he says for us to comfort one another now on over to the next epistle think about that he's wrote this epistle sent it to thessalonica these guys are getting uh educated on on the lord on the end of time now look what he has to do in chapter two of the next epistle Look what he says. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, what did he just talk about? Gathering together, right? The dead first and then those that are alive. He says, We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless there's a falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or is worship, so that he who sits in, uh, as God in the temple, showing himself that he is God. So he's going to fake, right? The Antichrist is going to do the abomination of desolation, which we'll get into. In other words, somebody had come along and tried to tell these Thessalonians that the Lord had already come. <laughs> Can you imagine? And they missed it. That would be horrible. For somebody to come by and say, sorry about your luck, but the Lord doesn't come and you're still here. So Paul's writing to clear that up. And that's what I want to do tonight. I want to say to you, there's a lot of bad doctrine going on about how all this stuff's already happened. It's so clear to me, but it's people who do not study the whole counsel of God. And they want to tickle people's ears, telling them what they want to hear. And a lot of preachers, I should say, they want to be the newest guy with the newest doctrine. I'm going to tell you something. There ain't no new doctrine. It's all the same. It's always been the same. The Bible says, if you add to this word, he said, the plagues will be added to you. And if you take away from this, your part will be taken away and you'll be in the lake of fire. So, 
these guys that are running around here just telling people what they want to hear, coming up with a new doctrine so they can get a following, they're just they're going to have to stand before God someday. I think it's clear with Daniel. That's why I've hammered that for the first three weeks. It's clear that there's not sin's not finished, transgression's not over, iniquity's still going on, and Jesus has not been anointed the most holy. He's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords, and every knee will bow, every tongue confess. This stuff's going on. A lot of people... And here's where this theology come out of. It started here probably in the 80s, but it's just gotten progressively and worse, and it's real aggressive now. I remember who Zola Levitt was. Zola Levitt was a, a Jew who was a believer. He was probably the front runner for Messianic Jews. Now we've got all kinds of people doing that. But Zola Levitt was probably the guy that was the first and foremost back in the day. And he really worked hard against replacement theology. Have you heard that terminology before? Replacement theology says that the church has taken the place of the Jews. In other words, the Jews have forfeited. Of course, if you read Romans 11, you know that's not true. But the Jews forfeited everything. Now all of us Gentiles, since we're doing such a bang-up job ourselves, are getting all the good stuff. I don't, I don't know that the church has done any better than the Jews have if you look at the overall picture. But the problem with that, and I want you to hear me, and I want everybody that's watching me or gets this podcast to hear me well. If God don't keep His promises to Abraham, who was a Gentile to start with, if God don't keep His promises to Abraham, how can we expect Him to keep them to us? Now that's a bunch of... This new doctrine, replacement theology, and all this new eschatology is straight out of the pit of hell. And it's doing far more damage than a lot of other stuff does in the flesh because it's manipulating people's minds and hearts. But I'm going to tell you something. We're not taking the Jews' place. Paul's clear about that. We're getting grafted into the same tree. And he said if they don't abide in unbelief, and they're not going to because Israel's going to be born in a day, someday very soon, they're going to be grafted right back in. And so if God... Is don't keep His promises to Abraham, how can we expect Him to keep them to us? And if God's a liar, this whole thing's going to fall apart. But God is not a man that He should lie. He does not lie. He, can't, he does no evil. He can't be tempted with evil. He's above all of that. And so all those guys that are teaching that stuff are liars. I'm calling them what they are. They're liars. And they're doing it for the advantage in the flesh. And that is going to, you're going to have to stand before God for that someday. How dare you take the Jews off the map like the Arabs have done? Christians are doing the same thing with this replacement theology. It's a bunch of hogwash. Y'all use that word? A bunch of hogwash. And so, God, let God be true and everybody else be a liar. Learn your Bible, realize what Daniel said. When that stuff happens, then we'll know the end is over. When there's no more sin, when there's no more transgression, and when the most holy has been anointed King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Let's give him some praise tonight. He's worthy.
<clears throat> it looks like we'll probably start getting into Revelation next week, which we went over there a couple of times. But I want you to be grounded in this, so that because we are we're, we're in the last days, and one of the greatest things the devil does is deceive. Right? He's a deceiver. The Bible says he will even appear as an angel of light to deceive. So you need to be like the Bereans. I know we're inundated with media now, from YouTube to whatever. But you need to search the Scriptures when you listen to somebody and make sure what they're telling you is in the Word of God. Because if it's not, I don't care how savvy they are. I don't care what denomination they belong to. I don't care how many people are following them. If they're not sticking with the Word of God, you don't need to listen to it. Amen? Father, we thank You for this time we've had together, and we thank You for Your Word. We ask, God, that You would be with our folks, the ones that are battling sickness. We've got a lot of folks battling with that. We ask You to watch over them, heal their bodies, Lord. Get us ready for these last days. And renew our health, our minds, our spirits, all that, so that we can be the most effective witness we can be, Lord. That's what we want to do. We want to be the most effective witness we can be. We thank You for Your love and mercy. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Mm -hmm.